Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey everybody, Craig Cobb here with the Hollywood Podcast, and today we are joined by Dr. Thomas, Akron Beacon Journal journalist. How are you doing? I'm making it through the week. It beats the hell out of the alternative. That is true. It's Thursday, so uh, weekend's near, at least. Uh, we have some uh, interesting topics today. Uh, we're going to start with uh, the latest HBO Max movie that's also in theater, In the Heights. Uh, this is a Lin-Manuel Miranda starred. Uh, he did not direct this, which I thought was kind of interesting, considering it is his musical. But um, he stars uh, other unknown cast members. What did you think of In the Heights, George? Um, you know what? This reminded me of a good old-fashioned movie musical with a modern twist in that it, it's set in pretty much in present day. Um, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda is too old for the lead role, so we're giving Anthony R- Ramos, who is a alumnus of Hamilton, right? And he starts starts as a shop owner, bodega o- owner, looking to go back to his native Dominican Republic. There, there, there are several stories going on here. Uh, you've got a young young woman returning home from her first first year at Stanford. And she had trouble adapting. She's Latina, and I, I certainly get that. And you have another young woman who dreams of opening her own shop featuring her fashion designs in, in what is likely the, the central part of the most lucrative part of, of Manhattan. I enjoyed, the, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the music. And... At this point, I'm, I'm going to leave with this. See the movie in the damn theater. It's a <laughs> musical. There's choreography. It's right. beautiful. It's mesmerizing. Um, that being said, it also gives voice to an odd or to a, a, a population. I don't even want to say population. To people we rarely see on screen. You know what I mean? It's, right, it's, right. This is mostly about. Latina people, and, and I, I got news for you. I've always had an affinity for the music because there's the rhythm, there's a groove. Right. And Lin-Manuel Miranda just takes that, makes it his own, and incorporates, and what's, what's nice here is you hear the bones of Hamilton in, in, in the soundtrack, you know what I mean? Right. You, can, you can hear where he's he, he cribs a little bit of this for that. Performances are great. Love Anthony Ramos. 
or is it Ramos? I apologize. But, um, you know, he could find himself jumping to leading man status. And I identify with it because, you know, the the young woman, Nina, comes back from Stanford. Reminded me a little bit of me adjusting to my first year at Ohio State, even though I was four years older than she would have been. Because to go from a community where you're the majority to a community that you're a minority, 3,000 miles away, granted, I was only 200 or 120 miles away. But to, to, to have to deal with that environment, and, and trust me, there are some, some instances, some incidents she had to explain to get her father to understand. There's a nice generational conflict that's explored here. It's, I can't say enough about it. I gave it a B plus. All right. So, well, it's interesting, you know, Lynn Manuel Miranda, I mean, to me, it seems like he can do no wrong in most cases. Uh, and it seems like whatever he touches usually turns to gold. And, and he's kind of, he's built a variety of roles and movies that he's attached himself to. Um, especially when you're looking at the music, obviously, you'll probably uh, know him from his music in Hamilton. And also, he helped in the original music with Moana. He's got Little Mermaid coming up as well. But then he's also you know, acted lately too, like uh, his dark materials on HBO. So he's really kind of diversified his portfolio moving forward. It just seems like whatever he's doing right now just seems to be, you know, whether it's charming or just well-written or the music's well-composed. He just seems to turn everything to gold. He has that type of personality where he's difficult to A, dislike. And therefore, because you can't dislike him, you don't want to heap a lot of criticism on him. It's, it's, it's weird for me to say that, but the output, especially musically, I don't know if you're, you did you see Hamilton? Yeah. I look, I I've listened to that that, that cast album a mil, million times and I count one bad song. And my guess is that one bad song is out of design. Um so to, and mind you, this predates Hamilton. Everyone should know that. To 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 see and, and mind you, it helps provide some perspective on his evolution as not only a playwright, writer of musicals, etc., to to present day, it, to, to be able to see that and, and, and see him thinking back then, it's it's a joy. Now here we go. Just out of curiosity, uh, earlier today, I went back and I looked at the. Uh, the Broadway cast Emmy per, or Tony performance on the Tony Award show in 2009, I want to say. I advise anybody to go to YouTube at that performance out. Because seeing him in the role is pure joy. It's, it, it's wonderful. He's wonderful in it. It's a pity he's too old to do it now. Right, right. Are we surprised he didn't take the director's chair on this? John uh, Chu directed this, and we'll talk about him in a second here because he's got a very eclectic, uh, ranging from G.I. Joe movies to Crazy Rich Asians to everything in between as far as what he's directed. But were you surprised that Miranda did not take this directorial job on? Uh, 
No, you want to know why? Because when you look at the scope of this film and the choreography and everything that goes into it and, and what John M. Chu does with it, it, it probably would have been a daunting task for a first-time director to do right. properly. <clears throat> we were talking about um, something we were going to talk about a little bit later regarding uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, which will be his directorial debut for Netflix. It looks like it looks like a musical that's going to be a little bit on a smaller scale. That's the right. best way to put it. And I, I, I think that's his way of easing into the genre. Sure. Maybe he eventually takes on Hamilton himself on the screen. I don't know, but right. it's something to ponder in this case. Yeah. Well, and Chu is a veteran director, even though he's relatively young still. I think he's 42. Um, maybe actually only 41, depending on his birthday. But uh, he's a young, a young filmmaker that's kind of on the rise with not just this movie, but um, you know, like I said, it's been a pretty strange, but also sort of interesting filmography director. He's been like a GI Joe movie. He directed Crazy Rich Agents, which a lot of people really loved. He directed the Now You See Me two sequel. Uh, gem in the holograms. So he's got sort of an interesting, you know, range here as a director. How do you think he handled this? Uh, and maybe what is his best film today? I really think he did a, for lack of a better term, hell of a job. I mean, like I said, musicals, musical choreography. I mean, there's a ballet scene, for for lack of a better term, that's just absolutely incredible. You see him saluting those 1940s era musicals in this. It's a definite homage to, to right. the films from back then. And it's it's wonderful to behold. And it helps that the song that they're, they're dancing to is absolutely fantastic too. But it's it, he does a great job. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting movie. I mean, I, I'm, I can't wait to watch it. I'll probably end up watching it on HBO Max. But I, you know, it is one of those movies that I consider maybe a theatrical uh, view as well because it does look great. Um, I'm not usually a huge musical fan, although I'm a sucker for a good one. So, like, I really enjoy La La Land and Sweeney Todd. So I know those are two completely different movies. But, uh, you know, I'm not really a Mamma Mia fan, for instance, but, you know, a good musical, I get sucked into it pretty quickly. On Sweeney Todd, that, that might be Tim Burton's best movie. Really I think it is Tim Burton's best movie. I really do. I I was blown away. I, I really, I knew about Sweeney Todd, the stage play. I never really listened. I listened to some of Sondheim's music, but never really uh, watched anything of it. Didn't really know much about it other than what he would do, in, you know, for a living, so to speak. But uh, that was a, you know, and Johnny Depp could actually sing a little bit too, which was kind of interesting. So, and I agree with you. Yeah, I love the way they rearranged the music too. Yeah, they modernized yeah. the music, and it, it's it's very lack of a better term, tuneful. It's like, I mean, I there there, you know, there are a couple there are a couple show tune albums, cast albums on my my phone. I've got Hamilton. I've got Rent. I've got uh. Phantom of the Opera. Mm -hmm. Now, it, it's there aren't a lot of show tunes I put on my phone. From Sweeney Todd, Beautiful Women, the barbershop yeah. scene. That's With a great Yeah. Yes. 
we digress, but <laughs> yeah. well, we've gone through a tangent in a completely different genre of the musical. There was Sweeney Todd, but uh, that just tells you, you know, a good musical can suck anybody anything. Uh, but you know, as we transition here, we're going to continue uh, staying with music. Linwell Van Marlena's directorial debut, Tick Boom. What are your what are you thinking about this? I mean, you know, obviously everybody wants to automatically assume it's going to be an Oscar contender with him behind the camera, uh, Andrew Garfield starring. But what are your expectations for a movie when you see a trailer like this uh, as it's come out this year? Number one, they're releasing it in the fall. So you know what's going to happen? Netflix is going to throw this in the theater for a week or two. It's right. One of, it's going to be one of its Oscar films. Now, Expectations from a first-time director. I take heart in he knows the musical genre. I take heart in his respect for Jonathan Larson, which this film is is based on a work that not a lot of people knew about. Jonathan Larson's father apparently did, and it eventually made its way off Broadway and made its way to London on the stage, and and. Somehow it landed with Lin-Manuel Miranda. But the fact that he's familiar with the genre gives me hope. The right, fact right. that he has this reverence for Jonathan Larson helps me. The fact that Lin-Manuel Miranda doesn't seem to have this huge ego really yeah. helps me think this is something to look forward to. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, it's not uncommon for first-time directors to strike gold and, you know, not just get nominated for an Oscar, but win an Oscar, obviously. Um, so there's obviously going to be a lot of uh, pressure on this film to produce, not just viewership, but I'm sure, you know, Netflix is hoping that it's going to be an award darling and, you know, it probably will based on some of the people that are attached to it. But you just never know how things are going to come together. That's you know, one of the beauties of watching a trailer and, and everybody can tug at the heartstrings and cut together a good minute and a half minute trailer, but then when the final product comes out, you just never really know how it's going to react. Correct. Absolutely. As a, as a film critic, though, are you are you someone that enjoys the trailers? I mean, are you... I know some critics that just don't like watching trailers because they want to go in just completely, you know, oblivious to what they're about to see. It's hard to miss it nowadays with so much social media and being at the theater and seeing previews, but do you like seeing trailers in advance of a movie that you're, you know you're going to be seeing, whether it's a week from now or two, two months from now? You know, that's evolved over the years. I'm the type of guy, type of movie fan. There were a couple cable channels. I think they're gone now. They used to have those half-hour, hour-long shows directed or, or specifically for showing trailers. And right. There, were, there was nothing else on TV. I could scan through, stop there, and get lost in. Um, yeah, there wasn't the coming attractions or whatever on E! Entertainment that had that or whatever it was called. Yeah. But um, because of what I do for a living part-time now, if I'm in a regular showing of a movie, trailers tend to annoy me. It's <laughs> like, I have no control. Like if, if I'm watching at home, I can pause it. I'm watching on my computer, I can pause it. But in a theater, it just keeps coming and coming. And they come with commercials too. 
So it's right, like, right. Seems like you're inundated at the theater. Although to admit, I'm kind of, I'm sort of the opposite. Where like when my wife and I go to a movie, we have to be there like a half hour early because I want to watch everything. I want to watch them read Marunos, you know, whatever she does. You know, I don't know what she does anymore now on there, but I want to watch all of it. Like I, I just want to be engrossed in all the movie There's trailers of something I may not know that's coming, or you know, or like, hey, you got to go to this movie because the trailer for X, Y, and Z is coming out. So um, it's kind of fun. Although sometimes trailers can be deceiving, and sometimes you can get. You know, maybe a positive, negative. I remember when we were, I can't remember what movie we were watching, but the teaser trailer for Frozen was attached to the movie. And it was literally like a 30 or 45 second spot. And it was essentially a bowl off the snowman in the, uh, um, the uh, reindeer fighting over the kick. And I thought, this movie looks so stupid. And I didn't even want to see it. And then all, all of a sudden we go and watch it. We enjoy the music. It's a great, you know, a great fun entertainment. Same thing probably about the Lego movie. When my wife and I saw that, I thought this is the dumbest gimmick I've ever seen. And then I ended up loving the Lego movie. So it's kind of fun how trailers can deceive in one way or another. Well, I, I agree with you on the Lego movie. <laughs> Frozen, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Disney fan. Okay. I, I have no problem saying that. I detest it. I detest that movie with a passion. Okay, okay. Any so, reason why? Was it, it uh, uh, the music, or was it just? It was just bland. Okay, okay. Good music. Was, I like the music. I, that's what I hated the most. Oh, is oh, it? Okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know how old you are, but when you grow up, I don't want to say grow up, but when you you you, you experience, it was called the second golden age of animation from its start, and people say it started with the Little Mermaid. I'll disagree a little bit and say it started for Disney with the Great Mouse Detective. Okay, and and you see what Minkin and Ashton did, or listen to what they did with music. And then you you present it with Frozen, and it's like really? so. Call me spoiled. That's fine. Different strokes for different folks. That's fine. I mean, not everybody's gonna love everything. I get it, but uh, I I enjoy the movie. It's uh, some of the uh, more recent Disney movies. Although I think Moana's music was actually a little bit better, in my opinion. Uh, that's just sort of my my call. Frozen Frozen's music was pretty good. They had some kinky songs in the sequel. That's Solid songs as well, but um, agree to disagree. That's okay, George. But <laughs> well, uh, you, I don't know if you revealed your hand here by saying you don't have a, an affinity for Disney, but uh, we're going to talk here about, uh, and hopefully we agree on this, but we're going to talk next about Loki, uh, the newest uh, Disney Plus series that uh, extends the Marvel Cinematic Universe into a whole bunch of different ways here. Um, obviously, I have not. Picked out WandaVision or Falcon and Winter Soldier, but this I actually did watch the uh, first episode of this. I know you've seen two episodes of Loki. What did what you is, think of Loki? First of all, let's let's cut the crap. This isn't Disney. This is Marvel. Disney, okay. Disney just just they 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 signed and, and paid its money. I, 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 this is this is Marvel. Um, love Loki. Hey, it's it's you know what the. The first thing I noticed about it, and it's weird, 
because I love Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson is basically been great at almost everything he's done. But the first yeah, yeah. thing I noticed, and I don't know if you did, was the high tech retro look. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, and it reminded me of the first Union Black movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So that's the first thing I noticed. But then you get, you know, I saw criticism from somebody on Twitter. Yeah, I know. Should take it with a grain of salt. Where <laughs> somebody said there was no, 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 no character development, whatever, chemistry, whatever. And it's like, are you kidding me? I disagree with that assessment. I mean, I mean, here it is. First of all, let's, Owen Wilson could walk into a room and and have chemistry with this remote control. Right. That, right. That's how affable that guy is. But, yeah. you know, not all the characters are developed yet. But the one relationship they needed to have some sense of development and chemistry was Loki and Mobius. Now, right. And, and they have it in spades. Now, oh, yeah. We should probably tell them that Mobius is, for lack of a better term, a time agent for uh, the TVA. Yeah, the yeah. Time Variance Authority. Time Variance Authority. This Loki is a man out of time. He should be dead, basically. And if right, you right. go back to Avengers Endgame, he picks up the Tesseract and then disappears. He ends up in the Gobi Desert where the TVA catches up to him, and he ends up meeting Mobius, and that's where the fun starts. Right, right. And it, trust me, it's fun, but it's also deep. It, on some levels, it's very deep because we 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 see a side of that character that was only hinted about in in the the MCU movies and 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 the beauty of these series. I know you said you haven't seen WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Is they let those secondary characters get <laughs> developed and say hello to my dog, get developed to a very very satisfying. I mean, we get great insight into all these secondary characters. And that's true in the case of Loki as well. Right. I, I completely agree. Whoever said that on Twitter needs to be suspended for a while because the, the chemistry is almost instant between I don't know if it's the characters or if it's Hiddleston and Owen Wilson you know, hitting it off and being, becoming best friends on set, but they really had a great back and forth, you know, kind of ribbing each other a little bit and watching those scenes of, uh, which I, I, I kind of thought was a little funny because it's like, did someone film those scenes? Are they watching the Avengers movie when they're watching these scenes play out or someone's eyes or perspective? But it was very fun when they were going back and forth because at first I thought it was going to slow down when they got into the interrogation room and maybe it would bog itself down a little bit. But the banter between those two was fantastic. I agree with you about the sort of that, that retro set looking, you know, futuristic retro set. I, I, I highlighted the biggest thing that I liked the most was striking imagery from Autumn Girl, the um, cinematographer, some very interesting camera movements and, and positions. And then uh, from her, I thought she did a great job. Um, good lighting as well. They really lit the scenes very well with that, those images to kind of, you know, project dimensions and things like that. So I thought. You know, the, based on the first episode, I can't wait to watch more. I'm a little nervous about it because even though I'm a huge Tom Hiddleston fan, I thought I don't really care as much about the Loki show. 
um, especially uh, considering uh, how were they going to do And of course, you know, as you explained, uh, when he uh, removed himself from Endgame with the Tesseract, they pick up where he left off, which is kind of unique. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, I really enjoyed it. I'm giving it three stars after the first episode. I can't wait to see more, um, especially, you know, more Owen Wilson. It's, it's been a while since he's done something kind of juicy. He had something to sink his teeth in, aside from a Wes Anderson movie. You know, I think he, he eventually, I think, worked his way to the point where he was getting front-end points on the projects he was in. You're getting front-end points. You're getting, you're getting profit share. And right, right. He, he probably doesn't have a need to work as much as he did. Because I took a look at his filmography out as I was writing my review, and it's like, he hasn't worked a lot in the last five years. Maybe. Maybe yeah, he probably doesn't have to at this point, but I'm glad, I'm glad to see him doing something that, you know, you see him in a Wes Anderson movie just because it's a Wes Anderson movie, but it's good to see him doing something else other than a straight comedy where he gets a little dramatic. And, you know, I think there's plenty of character development, especially for Loki, where we, we kind of delve deeper into his soul rather than just you're a bad man to kill everybody, but we're, we're seeing why we're, we're delving into his mindset, you know, who he thinks he is versus who he actually is. And I, you know, I was pleasantly surprised by Loki. I really, um, I mean, interested. I don't know if this is going to be a one season and off, but uh, I'm very interested in what they do with this. Oh, all I'm going to say is just wait for episode two. Okay. It's, it gets, it gets better. Now, yeah, do you, do you think that the, the first, first episode, episode we don't really get a ton of action. Do you think it's going to kind of go into that kind of action vehicle show like we've seen from Marvel in general? Yeah, I, with the emphasis being on character development, you know, even the big complaint about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, for instance, was there wasn't a lot of action. It didn't come until the final couple episodes. I could right. see doing the same thing. I mean, I, I much rather like the psychological character aspects of Falcon and, and the Winter Soldier in that series than having all of the action. It, it's like you, you have more of an affinity for those characters, more of an appreciation for them. And I, dare I say, in some respects, they're more interesting than some of the A-list Avengers. So right. here we go. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to ask you this before we moved on, though. Um, you know, I, I think Tom Hiddleston, one of the problems I had with Loki was that he was too charming. Like, he almost rooted for him as Loki in some respects because Tom Hiddleston is so charming. I, when I look at Tom Hiddleston sort of moving forward, one of the things I think about with him is, could he be the next James Bond? Oh, what do you think? Well, could he? He's the, the sly smile, the 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 wink wink. Oh, absolutely, he could be Bond. And he tell me you don't see him drinking a dry martini. Oh, I most certainly do. And apparently, according to the ladies, he's got the chops for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to see that easily. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that just based on his filmography in the M in the uh, MCU. But the 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 minute I looked at him as James Bond, and this is a weird movie to think of it, 
but when I saw him in Godzilla versus Kong, and he got some of those like classic action star shots, I kind of thought to myself, you put a suit on him, you give him a martini, you slip the hair back, you cut it short, and he's James Bond. Absolutely, he's James Bond, and don't be surprised if it happens. I mean. He's so he in that box office return that I think would warrant, you know, Amazon's own the rights to the James franchise. So I'm I'm kind of curious though who they would go with. I know everybody liked Henry Cavill, the man who played Superman, because he's you know hulking man with the looks and everything. But I don't know. Tom Hiddleston reminds me of like what you think of with James Bond, which is a sly sleuth kind of guy more than he is like a, a butt kicker like you know, Daniel Craig has been. Although I've liked the Daniel Craig franchise, but I think Hiddleston's kind of the best of both worlds where he looks like he could be a belong in party while also beating everybody up. He's more Pierce Brosnan and, and Sean Connery than he is Daniel yeah. Craig. Right, right. But you could also put 15 pounds of muscle on him and then he could look exactly like Daniel Craig did in the movies too. So... One way or another, I have been trained for uh, Tom Hiddleston to play James Bond moving forward. So Amazon, if you're out there, you're welcome for the casting, uh, you know, the casting suggestion. But, uh, you know, moving on to our final topic, we talked a little bit about the trailers, Tick, Tick, Boom, and just trailers in general. Uh, George, right before we got on here, you and I watched Masters of the Universe. Uh, it's a He-Man reboot that's slated for July 23rd on Netflix. It's called Masters of the Universe Revelation. So for any of you that know what that is, it's He-Man. If you grew up in the I grew up in the 80s. I'm an 80s kid, and I, you know, this is how He-Man I am. My family cat, who was around for about 20 years, it seemed, her name was Cringer, which is the tiger that He-Man rode into battle with. So now, I, I will say that. That does not mean that I am a He-Man supporter all the way thick and thin here. Watching the trailer, it was a little bit easy with the I Need a Hero from Bonnie Taylor. What do you think about Masters of the Universe getting a reboot here in anime form? Before we go to that, though, off London He-Man, yes or no? <laughs> okay. As a kid, probably yes, that I remembered, but I on, on TV, they have, we have the Science Channel, and they had yeah, yeah. the universe on, and I watched it, and I'm like, nope. nope. See, <laughs> for, for, me, it's the, yeah, for me, it's the equivalent of the 60s-era Batman series that everybody seems to love. And I right. No, no. Yeah, the trailer for He-Man and what, whatever they're calling it is cheesier than hell because of Bonnie Tyler's I Need a Hero. I'm holding out for a hero showing up. And it's like, right. really? I, I, really, Kevin Smith? I mean, I give Kevin Smith credit for being a Morris Day in the Time fan. And he whips <laughs> out he whips out Bonnie Tyler on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It's like, yeah. really? So it, to me, it's like I'm on Cheese Fest alert with that. But because it's Kevin Smith, we're going to give it a little bit of a doubt, and we'll take a look when it comes out. You know what, though? I think if, if this is a movie kind of over-the-top action show, science fiction fantasy action show, maybe that maybe that's why they went with the Bonnie Tyler song. 
because it's going to go with what the show actually is, which it's not serious. Maybe it's over the top fun, take you back to your childhood. Not going to be great, but maybe not going to be the worst thing you see in the summer. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that B-movie cheese fest that we need to kind of get through the summer months. Yeah, I don't need B-movie cheese fest. Yeah. Every now and then you've got to watch something in the background when you're doing something else, right? And maybe this is the, uh, you know, maybe this is it. That's what reruns of Star Trek are for, my friend. That's what reruns of Star Trek are for. What do you think? And it seems like Netflix is really championing the anime style of, uh, of visuals. What do you think of this being an anime version versus maybe something more traditional that you might see? Well, that's the one part of the trailer I like. I like that the, the animation's been updated. I really do. I can appreciate that because, let's face it, the animation for that Avings Arrow show was basically six fingers with your lips moving as best they right. could. So, you know, I'm all for that. Yeah. yeah. I will I will say that, you know, Netflix seems to be, you know, going all in on the anime. I don't know if it's just because what, like, Gen Z and millennials are – I mean, I'm a, I'm a millennial, but I, I don't know if Gen Z are just all in on anime. I don't really get into the anime as much. I will say I did like the Blood of Zeus anime show, which I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Greek mythology. So I probably would have liked it if it, you know, was terrible animation. But, you know, this, this looks like a cross between just good animation versus anime where it's not over the top anime. So I'll give it a shot, I guess. Well, here's... Let, let, let's be real. With all these mergers happening in the streaming universe, Netflix's biggest problem is they don't have a library of their own. Right. They need tons of buzzworthy content, and this is what this is going to give them, for right. better or worse. So, and, and anime is the type of genre that gives them content that's going to get talked about in corners of the, of the internet. So I, I I can appreciate what they're trying to do there. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, they, they need sort of these franchise, I mean, because we have a lot of maybe not so much quality, and I'm not saying that Masters of the Universe is going to be quality, but it's a sort of a tentpole franchise that they can hang their hat on, where most people at least my age, which is 37 and young, you know, and maybe that 37 to 45 and 50 range, at least know about what He-Man is or Masters of the Universe. They may have seen the 80s film and thought, why would I care about this? But, you know, if you grew up, you know, playing with the toys like I did and, you know, I think there's going to be a market for this. I don't know that they're going to get a lot of new subscribers for a show like this, but... I think it's going to help them keep subscribers that maybe just fall into the nostalgia of wanting to watch E-Man. That could be very possible. Um, I'll, like I said, I'll take a look. Yeah. The important yeah. question is, will it have the magic key? The music? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If if the if the song if the if the song wasn't so cheesy in the trailer, would the trailer have been better for you? Like, would you have thought, okay, I can get into this? You know, at least give me something quasi-serious. Yeah. Not, not, not Footloose retread. Because I think that's what that movie that time was. That was in the soundtrack of Footloose. And it was right. a, 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 a damn scene where they were being, playing chicken on tractors. It's like... Yeah. You know, it's, uh, 
Unfortunately, the music, I just did not get them. I don't know if that was a Netflix thing. I'm not saying wouldn't do something like that, but I don't know. I mean, if you're going to use that song, I don't know that I would use like the 80s track from it. Like I would use like a remix track from it that maybe a little bit more, I don't know, techno, a little bit more serious rather than like 80s. Like, you know, you, when, I, when I listen to that song, I don't, I didn't, I mean, it's almost I wasn't even seeing He-Man or Skeletor on the screen. I was actually thinking of like someone in like a leotard, you know, dancing like it was like, you know, Footloose or you know, Flash Dance or something. Like I honestly, it's the first thing I thought of. And I'm like, this is a jarring trailer to me because, you know, the visuals are nice, but the audio just is so disturbingly bad that I just couldn't get why Netflix would say, yeah, let's watch this trailer and green light that and hope that people take this seriously or whatever. But, Maybe when it premieres, it'll be the most B movie thing you know that you could ever watch, and they want you to you know have a little thing and keep fun with it. And they will lose me after the first episode. So it goes. I must be a, must be a bitter, cranky old dude. <laughs> so. do, you, do you think that this? You know, we've seen a lot of these. You know. You can call them sword and sandals shows, or like you can call them fantasy shows, like Game of Thrones or The Witcher. Um, do you feel like this could have been more of a live action show rather than animation, or do you think this should have just been animation? No doubt. I think they're working on a Masters of the Universe movie. Right. So uh, I think that would co conflict with with, with this. So, you know, maybe eventually you see it adapt. It's adapted as a series that way after the film and they see how it does. But I, I'm pretty sure I read there's a, a movie in the work. If and only they could get it as Frank Langella to play school anymore, you know. Best thing about that movie. Yes, it was by far. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, watching the movie when you're a kid, it's not bad because everything's good to you when you're a kid. But when you're an adult, it's pretty terrible. So uh, hopefully this will be better than the Masters of the Universe movie. Um, any final thoughts, George? I never have thoughts, so, you know. <laughs> All right, George. Well, as always, we definitely appreciate your takes, and uh, we'll definitely talk to you later on. And uh, thanks for joining us today. No problem. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And go out and watch, uh, watch the movies. You have some options here. Go see In the Heights. In the theater. In the theater, yes. All right, George. Thanks so much. Later. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope to learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.